Good to see all of you today. I want us to concentrate and think of our main reason for being here, and that's to meet with Jesus, and especially today to meet with him at the, the Lord's table. So the simple message is about the gospel. What is the bare-bones gospel? What is Christianity 101? And what does it mean to us? Could it get any simpler than what we heard in the offertory music, the song, Love Wins? Any simpler than the thief on the cross next to Jesus, recognizing his desperate sin, his hopelessness, confessing his sins, basically, and the Lord saying, yes, friend, your sins are forgiven. Love wins. You have peace with God. Thanks to Austin and Amanda and the others who brought us that song today. A couple weeks ago, I said to Austin, uh, you know, I'm going to preach on the cross. It's communion. Uh, you got any song for that? And I'd probably not heard Steve Curtis Chapman or whoever sang, sings that song, and you probably have. But uh, what an appropriate picture of probably the first conversion. Well, we got sure Jesus, he hadn't died yet, but I mean, it's very close proximity to the moment. How many minutes? I think it's a pretty, pretty amazing account in the Gospels that we have of the thief on the cross. Now, there were other words on the cross, and we won't go through all seven, but just think of the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, the cross just exuding peace, forgiveness, reconciliation. Right there from the cross, Jesus is thinking of others. Oh, those words when he says, Mother, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. The gospel, the good news, also going right horizontally to the human relationships that matter. Our relationships with one another. I mean, Jesus on the cross shows us the full picture of salvation. And of course, the great words, it is finished. Not a desperate cry of, I give up, but a triumphant cry of, my work is accomplished on the cross. And it's that work we want to talk about today. We center on the communion, his table. We remember the impact of his death, and we come thankfully here to receive the salvation of our hearts through the power of his great peace. So, uh, actually, you can use your bulletin as your text, as your PowerPoint today. Here it is, the call to worship. Or open your Bible to Romans chapter 5. Just a few moments of thinking about the essence of the gospel. The Apostle Paul summarizes the power of God's love. And at the heart of it is verse 8, which isn't in your bulletin. So now your Bible should be open. And there's no excuse. They're in the pew. Romans 5, 8. How many memorized that in Sunday school? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody up there is right on the ball. Thank you. There it is in front of the screen. That was read for us in the early service. wasn't read with the screen maybe in this service. God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Love wins. Wins what? What was the war? What was the battle? What was going on? What was the problem? 
while we were still sinners. Oh, well, yeah, that thief on the cross, he was a robber, a thief, probably cursing and swearing and doing all the bad things. But that's not us in our good Sunday suits. Ah, it is too. Paul clearly states the problem here. And if you look at some of the other epistles or other places in Romans, let me just describe the battle scene, the war that was on. We were dead in transgressions and sins. We were following the ways of the world. These are from the other epistles as well. Ungodly, powerless, loyal to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, deserving wrath, without hope, without God, alienated from God, is it bad enough? His enemies, in other words, the human race was in a mess. And century earlier, as we read, the prophet Isaiah made it clear that Jesus' wounds, Jesus' death was for our transgressions and for our iniquities. Yes, we are just as much need as that thief was the instant he was dying on the cross. And Jesus paid the price. Going back to Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 1, Jesus tells us exactly what Jesus, uh, Paul tells us exactly what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And I always turn back to my favorite theologian and world expositor of the, of the Gospels, of the Gospel, and you know some of you who I'm going to quote, John Stott, rector of All Souls Church in London, England. Some of you have been there. But he gave a simple three-point outline the three effects of the cross, and just to be a complete heretic, I'm going to add a fourth that isn't John Stott, okay? But look for him in the gospel. Look for him in Romans, all right? First, what's the immediate effect of the cross? Verse 1, what is it? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The battle's won. The war is over. Faith in Christ turns us immediately from being rebels to being reconciled to him. What a change in identify, uh, identity for the thief on the cross and for us when we come to him. We go again from being at war with God to being at peace with God. Of course, there was an old book that I used to hear my dad refer to, Peace with God by Billy Graham. That's the gospel. Peace with God. What an essential, essential truth. But the second thing, you don't have to go far. Look down to the next verse, verse 2. So I looked through the church after first service, and I found notes and bulletins. And a lot of people didn't get, they got one point out of three. So listen now. The first point was peace with God. That's the immediate effect. The continuing effect, the, the effect you're living in today, the continuing effect is access to God's grace. Verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is huge. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you're living today. This is what he's won for us in the cross. Not just peace with God, I've got my ticket to heaven. But access to his grace through the trials, the sorrows, the daily travail that we go through. 
We're no longer afraid, no longer doubting, no longer cowering, no longer living in the stifling, choking air of a battle going on, but living in the refreshing air of God's grace, His marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, the old hymn writer said. Now, the pardon thief on the cross had just a few moments of that joy. But I believe he got it. And he breathed his last breaths with a sense of access to God's grace. Now, I became a Christian. I guess we would call it that way. I mean, salvation at age three or so up on Tucker Hill Road near Wesley. Right at that junction, there was a little farmhouse, and my mother flipped down the oven door, and I kneeled there, and I asked Jesus to wash my heart clean as a, as a little child, because I knew I had sin. But it wasn't until I think was in fourth grade in Wellsville as a preacher's kid that I think for the first time I realized what the immediate and the continuing effect of the gospel was when I saw my dad's first convert in his pastorate in Wellsville, 1956. My parents had gone to Wellsville. They were interested in art, and they were artists down there, and they'd go down. But then God called Mom and Dad to Wellsville to be pastors. And so one of his trips, exploratory trips, he was down in the modern diner on Main Street, which is still there. 60? How many years ago is this? 1956. And uh, he met a lonely guy there several times, drinking his coffee, kind of in the dumps. And he got acquainted with a guy, a family of three guys, three boys, three sons. He was a sign painter, actually a very fine artist. And many of the signs in Wellsville, the big billboards, the signs in the baseball field, which included beer signs, uh, all kinds of things he painted all over town. By the way, he never painted a beer sign after he found the Lord. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, his name was Steve. Dad had such a burden. We hadn't moved to Wellesley yet. He had a burden to meet Steve again and share the gospel with him. And he was there, and the Holy Spirit prompted him to find his shop. And it was across from the post office in Wellsville, above the old Salvation Army building. And on the second floor was a sign painter's shop. Dad went up the stairs one evening and found Steve there, moments away from suicide wanting to take his life. And they shared, he shared the gospel. And Steve gave his heart to the Lord and found peace with God and found access to grace. And for the rest of my life there in Wellsville, fourth grade up to twelfth grade, front row of church, in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every his three boys, my best friend, were part of a church and found life and found grace through his trials, found it help in his business, gave up painting beer signs. Oh, well, but he found a business and he became a real member, a stalwart member of that church. He's in heaven today, which brings us to the third point, the third effect, the ultimate effect of the cross. Still in verse two, hope in his glory and hope for heaven or the hope of heaven. And we boast or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Or as J.B. Phillips puts it, the happy certainty of the glorious things he has for us in the future. Now the thief on the cross found out pretty quick. (laughs) He was moments away and he found out pretty quick the glorious future. 
Some of you have lived 90 years and you're still waiting for the glorious future. Hang on. It's coming. We have a lifetime of anticipation for what God has for us. Now, I just want to sidetrack a bit with this verse. We boast, I said, or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It is a word that's used three times in Romans 5, 1 to 11, the word to boast. You find it in verse 2. Where'd that come from? I've got two of them now. If it was my wife, she knows what I'm getting, whatever, dry out. We find it in verse 2. Look at boast. We boast or rejoice in the glory of God's hope, of the hope of the glory of God. So we rejoice in a future hope. But in verse 3, he says, we glory or boast and rejoice in our sufferings. Whoa. While we wait, even for that future hope, we're in the midst of trials, hardships, sufferings. We can rejoice. That's another use of that same word. And then verse 10 and 11, he says, But we also boast or rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we rejoice in God himself. That's the prize. That's the real thing. Three times he uses the rejoice. So much joy. I think it's F.F. Bruce who says there's an old Scottish preacher that said, Peace is joy resting. And joy is peace dancing. Joy resting and peace dancing. So I just don't expect you to come to the communion table glum. You have peace. You have joy because of what Jesus has done for you. Now, it is a somber moment and we're Wesleyans. So, unlike in Africa, I probably don't expect you to come down the aisle like that. But the Lord's table is a place of peace. Love wins. So Christianity 101, basic Christianity is simple. The need for love, hope you heard the description, our rebellion. The source of love, God, God's heart, he demonstrates it. The act of love, Jesus on the cross. And so here's my fourth heresy, except it isn't. The results of love is that we become ministers of reconciliation and peace to others. I'll call this the transforming effect of love. Yes, lives that show it. Now, you're aware that in Paul's letters, he always has his theological section, and then he has his practical application section. And we really don't get to all that completely until Romans chapter 12. But you see it in the other epistles, Ephesians, Colossians. Corinthians, where he says, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Just in Romans 12, since we're in Romans, here's what he says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, if it, it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. With everyone. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. That's what we're supposed to walk away from this table with, that kind of life. There were two stories that kick-started this message. A few weeks, months ago, in February, Dr. Andrew Bush from Eastern University came to Houghton as a missionary speaker. He was a worker in Palestine. Yes, the West Bank of Palestine. And he wrote a book about it, and he told us about it. Learning from the Least, Reflections on the Journey and Missions with Palestinian Christians. Palestinian Christians. Do you picture Palestinian Christians, or do you picture Palestinian whatever they are? He tells of time and time again his Palestinian believers, friends, university students, bookshop leaders, they were daily threatened from two sides, from Jews, Jewish soldiers on the one side in the infatada, which he lived through, with machine guns and crossing points and roadblocks and brutality, and from their Muslim friends on the other side who persecuted them and hated them and denounced them. And yet here were these Palestinian Christians, like Jesus, living out peace and reconciliation. And when they were mistreated, they'd give out candy and food. They had a bombing in their bookstore, and the next morning they said, let's celebrate. And they opened it up again, bombed out, blackened out, but handed out chocolate candies to everyone who went by and said, we love you. He was so shaken by that. He said, this is how we're supposed to do mission. With the reconciliation of Christ. And some of them even confessed, well, we hate the Jews. And turned around and said, we love the Jews. And made little forays into Jerusalem to, to tell the love of Christ. What a lesson from those people. So that was the first thing that got me going. The second one was a DVD that I just, I don't know if my wife or I picked this out of the books, uh, the books what do we call it? The library in our church, room 105, across the hall. From One Blood. Story of a man named Gerhard Wolfhard. Don't ask him to say the, the name twice. He's, a, he's an Afrikaner. He's white. His theology says that we are the chosen people. Blacks don't have souls. So if you murder a black, no problem. Didn't break the Ten Commandments. They're not human. That's what he grew up with. And as a teenager, he got more and more involved. He became a leader of, a champion of the gangs of violence. He thought he was doing the right thing, full of hatred, full of hatred. He said the only solution is to eradicate the blacks of South Africa until there are none left, and I will lead you to that. Well, what a story. It's a powerful story here. Until in one of his times of beating up an African fellow, he actually saw the blood of the African was red. And God used that to begin to tell him, he's no different than you. And then a girl he was interested in was a sweet Christian. And she told, said to him, read the cry of the beloved country. These people are humans. You need to love them. And it began to work away at his heart. Till finally he was down on his knees. And he repented of his sin and his hatred. And a new peace. And a new grace. And a new standing came into his heart. Here's what he said. The cross enables one to look inside and see the sin in your own heart. 
And then the cross helps you to forgive others. Finding peace with God, he sought the forgiveness of others. His life turned around 180 degrees. He's still living today, I believe. I've tried to find him. I found his website. He's leading reconciliation in South Africa. He came and is working in the States between blacks and whites and in Rwanda as well, seeking reconciliation. That's what Jesus does for us when we follow the cross out the door from the communion table. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Friends, we come to this table reconciled and enjoying, rejoicing in the love of God that wins over our rebellious hearts and brings peace. Love that offers the assurance, uh, that provides a place of grace in which we can stand in the midst of troubles. Love that offers an assurance of a future hope. And love that gives us the courage to be instruments of his peace and reconciliation in our homes, in our government halls, at our work, in a world that so desperately needs the Prince of Peace. Some say it's not St. Francis's prayer, it's somebody else's prayer, but Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. That's why we come to his table today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your saving, healing, reconciling love and comforting presence. We remember today with gratitude the cost of our salvation. We rejoice in your grace and your peace. Bless these elements and reminders of your sacrifice on the cross, Lord. Jesus, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. May coming to you and partaking at your table, lingering in your presence, be a means and a ministry of grace and a way of preparing us to love and serve you and others better. Refresh, renew, remake our hearts in your power and love, we pray. Amen.